To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we've made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, on a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org donate. To celebrate Marketplace's 35th anniversary, we've made some throwback thank you gifts you can get when you donate during this March fundraiser. We took our old .com era logo and put it on a sticker, on a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org donate. This is Marketplace After the Bell. I'm Scott Jagow, and I'm here to make sense of what happened this week in business and the economy. It's Friday the 13th of November. This week, the Dow hit a new high for the year. It's solidly above 10,000. The Dow has gained a good 15% in 2009. Not bad. But you have to think about what's driving this market. And unfortunately, the gains in stocks and commodities like gold and oil are coming at the expense of the not-so-almighty dollar. At a speech in Japan this week, our Treasury Secretary said the U.S. was committed to a strong dollar. But it's hard to reconcile that with the actions of the government. The Federal Reserve's low rates and the huge amounts of government spending are keeping the dollar unattractive to overseas investors. It's possible the Obama administration actually wants a weak dollar, at least for a while, because it's good for exports. On Marketplace this week, economist Paul Kodrowski argued we need an export-driven recovery. This country might like a higher dollar. It feels so good. But it needs a lower one right now. More exports will take pressure off U.S. consumers. It's time someone else drove this economy for a while. But if that sounds too good to be true... It just might be. Economist David Malpass says a weak dollar encourages the wrong kind of investing by American businesses. When a currency is in a weakening trend, then it makes sense for corporations to borrow money in the local currency and create plant and equipment and the jobs abroad because those assets go up in value and the earnings go up. The point being, yes, we want to create jobs, but not overseas instead of here. In fact, the job cuts kept coming this week in the United States. Sprint, 2,000 jobs. Pfizer, 2,000 jobs. Electronic Arts, another 1,500. I thought this comment was interesting. It's from Jack Ablin of Harris Private Bank. He said, yeah, the recession is winding down, but the country's still paying the price for overspending, overborrowing, and binging our way to a bubble. We as a nation have spent more than we've earned consistently for nearly 10 years. We grew an economy that was just too big. Too many vacations, too many autos, too many Starbucks coffees, too many jobs, unfortunately. Too many jobs? Doesn't that sound like a problem we'd like to have right about now? Marketplace, providing you what you need to know about business and economics on air and online. 
Explore everything Marketplace has to offer, from explainers on technical terms to stories on personal finance at Marketplace.org. This week, the nonprofit group, the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, issued a new report. It says that unless the federal government steps in to help the states next year, states face serious fiscal problems. They could lose 900,000 more jobs. Joining us now is Nick Johnson, one of the authors of the report. Nick, what is the main problem facing the states right now? This problem is driven by the weakening economy. It's really that simple. Tax revenues have fallen faster uh, over the last uh year or so than at any time uh, on record. At the same time, states are facing uh, continuing and actually increasing levels of need for the services that they provide. Everything from uh, health insurance for people who have lost their jobs or lost their employer-provided care to funding for for food banks that people are increasingly turning to, uh, to continuing uh, need for education and public safety and transportation and all the other services that states pay for. And what about the the stimulus act that was passed earlier this year? What kind of impact has that had in your estimation? Uh, the Economic Recovery Act that was passed in February has had a huge effect on state budgets uh, and, and local budgets for the good. Uh, it provided, over the course of a couple of years, for about $140 billion in mostly education funds and health care funds uh, that helped states um, balance their, their whole budgets. The problem is, is that those funds start to run out fairly soon. By the end of December 2010, uh, the Medicaid funds will expire, the additional health care funds will expire, uh, and states have drawn down a very large share of their education funds as well by then. Well, exactly how do the stimulus funds help the states balance their budgets? So the stimulus funds provide essentially additional revenue that helps make up for the loss of tax revenue that states are facing as a result of the recession. So you can think of it as a, a gap opens when revenue declines because of the recession, the stimulus funds essentially replace some of that. But weren't those funds designed to go to specific projects or specific uh, specific types of projects? There's a lot, a lot of funds in the Recovery Act that are designed for specific programs um, or specific projects, infrastructure, uh, for instance. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is relatively flexible funds uh, that were a major cornerstone of the Recovery Act, uh, over $80 billion in an, the inc- an increase in the federal share of the Medicaid program, over $40 billion in aid for education and, and other services. Those dollars have to be spent on those things, um, but those are very major components of state budgets. In mm-hmm. fact, states spend over half their budgets on health care and education. By taking the pressure off of those programs, in turn, it helps states with the rest of their general fund um, gaps. The Center on Budget and Policy Priorities in this report is encouraging the federal government to step in with more funds to help out states. Uh, what exactly do you have in mind? Well, it could take a number of, of forms. Um, the federal government last February did Uh, increase in the Medicaid match and also created something called the State Fiscal Stabilization Fund run out of the Department of Education. The most straightforward thing would be for the federal government to extend the the Medicaid match and or put more money into that State Fiscal Stabilization Fund. Uh, Nick, you know this is going to be a tough sell, right? I mean, the idea of more federal money uh, going out the door, 
after all the money that we've spent so far? Yeah, I think there's starting to be some recognition that the perils of not acting, not taking additional action to to help uh, boost the recovery and make sure the recovery actually turns into jobs are, are worse uh, than the challenges of, of doing something. I think you see uh, increasing uh, attention in Congress and, and the White House to concerns about uh, about the job market, about unemployment being over 10%. The, there's increasing recognition of the role of state and local governments uh, in maintaining the recovery. But what are the states going to bring to the table? Uh, the president has been talking about making tough choices And in this situation, it seems like the states may have to make some tough choices. So are they going to do that? Are they willing to sacrifice and come halfway? Because I know that a lot of people will say the states put themselves in this situation by overspending, counting on, you know, uh, extra tax revenue that could disappear and not saving for a rainy day. Yes. You do hear that. The reality is is that uh, states are going more than halfway. You know, in the current fiscal year, the federal aid is only filling about 30% of state budget shortfalls. Now, that's really important, but that means that the majority of state budget shortfalls is being filled uh, in, in other ways, and principally it's being filled by cuts in spending uh, and tax increases. And unfortunately, a lot of the cuts in, in, in spending are really hitting uh, hitting services hard. Over st- half the states have cut education, eight to, um, K-12 through schools. Uh, two-thirds of the states have cut higher ed. Uh, about half the states have cut services for, for seniors and people with disabilities and so on. So I think, and I think you're going to continue to see states um, do a lot of pretty dramatic actions um, um, on their own, really, with or without the federal aid. What happens if the federal government says, no, we cannot step in this time? What happens? Um, I mean, I think two things happen. One is that states do a lot more of what they have already started to do, a lot more spending cuts, a lot more cutbacks in services. People will start to see that more. Uh, I mean, I think that means everything from longer lines of DMV offices to, um, you know, reductions in services for people who are newly unemployed, uh, families. Um, I think you see cuts in, start to see increasing cuts in education. Our projection is that without federal action, uh, the economy will lose 900,000 jobs. You know, that's that's going to really slow the recovery and could even put us into some into a double-dip recession. When you look at specific states, are there any initiatives that are going on that are sort of interesting or that stood out to you that you've heard about? A lot of states have taken a balanced approach to this problem, and that's, I think, what's what's most impressive. Uh, a number of states that face major budget shortfalls, rather than trying to solve the entire program just by cutting, 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 have taken more of a balanced approach, putting everything on the table. Um, and, and it's really striking that a lot of those measures include tax increases, and this is tax increases enacted by uh, Democrats and Republicans and independents. So you see uh, states from North Carolina to Wisconsin to Oregon, really all across the country, um, taking a hard look at their revenue systems and saying, look, we've got a revenue problem. At least part of the solution needs to be done on the revenue side. Um, And there's ways to to do this that are 
um, that are that are good policy. People can look, uh, states can look at the corporate tax code in their states and and address some of the corporate loopholes that have that have gotten excessive. People can state, states can make right. their income taxes more progressive. Because yeah, you make a good point. States in their competition with each other and with other countries really to to land companies, uh, you know they've they've given out a lot of tax incentives that haven't necessarily returned you know what they expected. Right. States, I think, are, are, are overdue for a careful look at their tax codes to make sure that uh, all the tax breaks and deductions and credits are actually doing the jobs for which they were intended. Uh, closing down some of, those, uh, some, of, some of those mechanisms could save the states a lot of money that could, be, uh, could, could reduce budget shortfalls and protect some of the, some of the services, protect jobs, and uh, avert cuts in education and health care and so on. Nick Johnson with the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities. Thanks for joining me. Thanks a lot, Scott. You can read the entire report on the state budgets at cbpp.org. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. Help. When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. This is Marketplace After the Bell. I'm Scott Jagow. At one of our morning meetings this week, we talked about Dow 10,000 and the anxieties that come with it. Yes, anxiety. People were super stressed out with the Dow at 7,000 and their 401ks bleeding. But then there was this point when maybe everyone became numb about it. One of our editors told me for a while no one in her circle of friends talked about their 401ks. It was the unmentionable. But with the Dow climbing again, people are saying, hey, you work at Marketplace. What should I do? What should I do? Am I just being set up for another downfall? I don't know if I can take it again. My only answer is, it's the stock market. This is what happens in a stock market. Of course, I'm talking to myself as well. I have a stack of unopened 403B statements at home. I don't know. Looking might just get my hopes up. Besides, I heard this piece of advice on Marketplace this week from Richard Thayer at the University of Chicago. Stick to a sensible asset allocation, be internationally diversified, and then read the sports section. Yeah, that's a great idea. Unfortunately, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, so the sports page doesn't really make me feel any better. But I guess what I've been thinking through all this is, relax, take it easy. I have enough things to worry about without constantly stressing about the Dow Jones Industrial Average. After all, I'm choosing to participate. I know what I've gotten into. Maybe if I was close to retirement, I'd have more reason to stress. But then again, at that point, I'd probably be ready to be done with all this stock market nonsense. That's After the Bell for this week. I'll be back next Friday to make sense of what's happening in business and the economy. Have a great weekend. American Public Media.